morning, everybody. My name is Ted Sally, for those of you who don't know me. Um, and I had the p pleasure of teaching for you this morning. I've looking, been looking forward to this. So We are going to be in Acts chapter 21, and hopefully we'll make it all the way through it. That's a, that's a pretty long chapter. So, But this is, of course, Paul's third missionary journey. He's um, been in Ephesus and some other areas. And in chapter 20, Paul was uh, leaving and he had been um, talking and, and spending time with the Ephesian elders. And so they are saying goodbye and it's a very, very emotional um, just departure. It's very difficult. You know, they're crying and everything. And so finally... When, when he leaves, it's, we, that's where we start in chapter 21. And so, I'm not going to read through the whole chapter. I'm just going to take it piece by piece. So let's start reading in chapter 21, starting in verse 1. And we, when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to cause. And the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. Having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia... We went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for the ship was, that was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey. When they, whenever they say, he said in verse 1 that when we had parted from them and to, set, to set sail, that word parted literally means to tear oneself apart. So you can see how emotional this departure was for him. And so he literally, and they, they're, you know, and also a lot of people are warning, and we're going to see this in chapter 21, <coughs> telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They're just, they're begging him not to go, and we're going to, we're going to go through some of that. And so this is a very emotional departure. And so he set sail, and, and it's likely that the, the ship that he was on was a coastal ship. It was not one that would go out into the deep sea, but it would just kind of sail down, you know, around the coastal areas, because these are some of the cities that he's going to. But then he'll get on a larger ship, and he'll end up going across the Mediterranean Sea over into Syria. So, he says, when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to cause, and the next day to Rhodes, and there from Patara. So here he's going kind of along the coastal areas. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. Okay, so now he's going across, and then eventually he ends up in Syria. And then in verse 4 he says, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. So he's going into these areas and the first thing he does is he looks for Christians, brothers in Christ, disciples. And so he's going to find these people, and they get, they get together, you know, they encourage one another. And it says, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And, but Paul is not going to be swayed, and we, we see that we're going to see this all throughout the chapter. And, but it's funny, though, that it says through the Spirit. So if you think about what's, what's taking place here, is, and this question can be asked, is Paul 
being stubborn. I mean, if this is coming from the Spirit, and of course it says capital S, right? We know that's the Holy Spirit. If this is warning and, and telling him not to go to Jerusalem, is this something that Paul needs to heed because it's coming from the Holy Spirit? Or is Paul being stubborn and maybe even to the point of disobedience by his willingness to go to Jerusalem when they're telling him not to go? Well, I think we're gonna, it's going to get a little bit clearer here in just a little bit when we see what someone else tells Paul. Okay, So let's read on just a little bit further. When our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all with wives, children accompanied us until we were outside the city. So again, we're seeing these people taking Paul outside of the city, which was actually a custom in this culture when a dignitary or somebody of importance or somebody very loved would go into the city. Anytime that they would leave, people would just crowd around them and escort them out the city. It was a show of respect and of love. So this is what they're doing with Paul. But the difference is, is that when they, when they escorted him out of the city and they got to the beach, what did they do? They knelt down and prayed. And I'm sure that this is something that this culture doesn't see very often. It's, I mean, they see people being escorted out of the city. But then they get together, they kneel down and pray. And you know they got their arms around each other. They're, they're just, it's, it's another emotional departure for Paul. I'm sure he's probably emotionally exhausted by the time all this stuff is going on. But, and so they boarded the ship and they returned home. The, the, the other people returned home. And then in verse 7, it says, When you finish the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at uh, Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers, staying with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people were urging him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm not ready only to be imprisoned, but to even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So here we see that he goes to Tyre, he arrives, and he's greeted, you know, he's greeted by the brothers. Again, he's getting together with believers, and he stayed with them for a day. And he goes to Philip's house. Okay, we remember Philip. Who was Philip? Philip the evangelist. Remember he, um, remember Philip and the, the Ethiopian eunuch, okay? And he went over there, the, the eunuch was reading out of Isaiah, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless somebody interprets it for me? And so Paul ends up sharing the gospel with him and baptizes him right there. And then says that he was, uh, I said Paul, Philip, excuse me, Philip baptizes him. And then the next thing you know, he's whisked away. And we don't know if he just disappeared or if the Holy Spirit said, no, go over here. But it just says he was taken away. And so we, this is not our first introduction to some of the things that Philip 
had done, and we see all that uh, in earlier chapters in the book of Acts. But Philip also was one of the seven deacons that was chosen of the church, the first church. And there was another deacon that was with him, and his name was Stephen. And we all remember Stephen, right? What happened to Stephen? Do what? He was stoned, wasn't he? And they were hurling accusations at Stephen, you know, and then they, they stoned him. And who was there giving approval to the stoning? Saul. Saul, that's right, who is now Paul. So I don't know about you, but if Philip, if I was Philip, and this was 20-some-odd years earlier when this took place, but if I was Philip and I opened the door and I saw who I knew maybe as Saul standing there, I don't know if I would be that excited to see him, right? <laughs> but I'm sure, though, that by this time, Philip had already heard all of the things that Saul, who is now Paul, had done and how God had saved him on the road to Damascus and of his missionary journeys and everything that he was doing. And uh, He was uh, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles. They were seeing churches planted, people getting saved all over the, this whole region. And so I'm sure that the news had reached Philip by this time. But another interesting thing that we have to take into consideration is if it wasn't for Saul persecuting the church, then they would not have been dispersed. And a lot of these cities that he is visiting right now where they've seen a lot of Christians and a lot of churches that are thriving is a result of the persecution that he did before he got saved. So we see that God uses, in his sovereignty, he uses all aspects of our life. He ordains all aspects of our life in order to accomplish his purposes. So I think it's interesting if we go back and we kind of see, you know, the result of Paul being a persecutor, and now he is an apostle, or he, he's an apostle, even though he says he's one abnormally born, but he is an apostle. So I think it's really interesting, I, and I, I would imagine it would be encouraging for him, too, to go to these cities and seeing all of these people who are coming to Christ and all these people who are growing in their faith. So, and again, this, in, in, if we look in verse 10, he said, While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, we've, but this is not the first time that we've been introduced to Agabus, okay? He was a prophet that... Um, Back in Acts, let's see, I don't know if I wrote that down, but anyway, back in uh, earlier chapters of Acts, he was a prophet that prophesied that there would be a great famine, okay? And so as a result, that's when they started sending out um, supplies and everything for the brothers. So this is not the first time we've been introduced to Agabus. But what he says, what he does is he takes Paul's belt and he binds his own feet and his hands. And he said, this is what the Jews will do to the one who owns this belt. And what does Paul say? You want to buy a belt? <laughs> no. Paul is not going to be persuaded. As a matter of fact, when, whenever he says, this is what's going to happen to you, and then he says in verse 12, he says, when we heard this, now, of course, this is Luke speaking, so Luke was with him. He said, when we heard this, we and the people urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, 
but to even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, again, they're trying to convince him not to go to Jerusalem. Now, again, we go back to the question that I posed a while ago. Is Paul being stubborn against the wishes of the Holy Spirit? Is that, is that what's going on here? I would say no. I think what's going on here is that there's a, a correct interpretation of them, the Holy Spirit saying, this is what's going to happen to you. And the funny thing is that Agabus does this in kind of an Old Testament prophet style, you know, where they demonstrated what, what the prophecy was. But still, the, the, the prophecy was that you will be bound. The Jews will bind you and they will take you up. But it, the Holy Spirit does not here say, do not go. That was what the people said. They came back and they said, please don't go. Okay, But that's not what the prophecy was. Paul was convinced in his heart that the Holy Spirit was leading him to Jerusalem. And if we look back in chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, they're not telling Paul anything that he doesn't already know. Okay? Let's read this. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So see, this is not something that Paul was unaware of. He already knew that in every city that he was going to go into, there was a chance of him being beaten, stoned, imprisoned, which he was. He was stoned, left for dead. They drug him out of the city. So again, but Paul says, look, I'm willing to die for the gospel. I'm willing to die for the gospel. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit had been leading him on this journey all of this time. And he will not be persuaded to stop because he is convinced by the Holy Spirit that this is where he's leading him. Now, it's easy for me or any teacher to get up here and say, how many of you would be willing to lay down your life like Paul for the gospel? That's, that's easy for me to say. To kind of throw that guilt out there, you know. Don't, you know how preachers always like to kind of make, make us feel guilty just so that we'll have to do some kind of action, right? I don't think we can do that. And the reason is because if Paul was left to his own vices, if he was left to his own decision-making, Paul would not go to Jerusalem. Because we know that in our flesh there is nothing good, there's nothing righteous, there's nothing that would cause me to be obedient to God. Not one thing. And so we can try to give Paul a lot of credit. Man, that Paul, he was some kind of apostle. I mean, he was some kind of dude. He was not scared of anything. He was going to all these places in risk of death. And we could praise Paul all day long, but we can't do that. Because the reality is there is nothing in Paul that would cause him to do this apart from the Holy Spirit himself. It is the Spirit of God that moves within us to act and to will according to his good purposes. 
And we can't give any credit to Paul. If I do anything good, I can't take any credit because if, it, if anything good comes out of my life, it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not me. And so see how easy it is for us to get to that one where we say, well, don't you wish you were like Paul? Don't you wish that you could do this? And, and, and did you be willing to lay down your life for the gospel? That's specifically what God created Paul to do. He was specifically created as Saul to be a persecutor of the church in order that the church might spread. And then he was specifically created as Paul to be the apostle that is willing to go to his death. He created him for that. He gave him the spirit to be able to do these certain things. And it was God working in Paul that caused him to be willing to lay his life down. So we can't give credit to man. We have to always praise God when we see God working through someone like this. Let's look at verse 14. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So they're trying to persuade Paul not to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit says you're going to be bound up when you go there by the Jews and handed over to the Gentiles. And they argued with him and pleaded with him. And he said, I'm not, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to Jerusalem. And finally, what did they say? Let the will of the Lord be done. And Paul's like, that's what I've been saying all this time. Verse 15, after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went up with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related by, one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands? Well, I don't want to. Get, I'm going to stop here real quick. Now, remember what we were just saying about giving man credit for everything that God does? Look what they do here. Okay, pay attention to this. He said, after greeting him, he related one by one the things of God that uh, had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, what did they do? They glorified God. Y'all see that? So we can't give Paul credit, can we? Because Paul even said himself, he said, I know that there's nothing good in me. The things that I want to do, I don't do. I don't have the ability to do it. There's nothing good in me. If anything good comes out of my life, it's only because God did it. And so we glorify God when that takes place. Okay, now we'll read on. And then they said to him, you see, brothers, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all jealous for the law, excuse me, zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. So here we've got them. They're telling Paul, hey, look, there's a bunch of Jews out here and they all believe this false rumor that you are telling people not you know, to abandon Moses, basically, in the law. 
And, and so they're, they're trying to warn him that these people are going to be the ones that are going to stir up some trouble. And they're very zealous for the law. And they, again, they were told that you're telling the Gentiles to forsake Moses, not to circumcise your children, and, or to even walk according to the customs. And so then they say, well, what is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may have shaved their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourselves also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled in, in sexual immorality. So Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering, present, and the offering presented for each one of them. Okay, so... We, we look back at what Paul's doing here, or what the disciples are telling him, look, because of the Jews, you know, they, they, they've got all this false information about you, they're, they're spreading rumors about you, uh, what we need to do is, is make them understand that, that you're not doing these things, that you're not opposing the law. And think about what Paul did whenever he wanted to reach a certain group of people. What did Paul do? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 through 22, he said, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So what is Paul willing to do here in order to still continue his ministry here, even though it's, it's going to get a little heated here in just a little bit? But he's willing to do what these men suggested even take what some would say might, might have been the Nazarite vow here, which is a vow they were referring to when they were talking about shaving his head. And so then they have to go through these seven days of purification and all these rituals, and then they go to the, they end up going into the temple. And then in verse 27, it says, When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, see, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Now, these Jews here, these are not even Jews from Jerusalem. These are Jews from Asia Minor. Okay, And when Paul was up there planting these churches and, and doing his ministry among the Gentiles, these are the Jews that were throwing, throwing him out of the city, stoning him, doing all of these things to him. And can you imagine him at the temple, and all of a sudden he looks, and behold, there's these guys from Asia Minor. Hey, what are you doing here? You know, I'm sure that's not what they said. But I mean, and you can imagine their surprise when they see Paul standing there. They're like, isn't that that guy we stoned and left for dead? I mean, isn't this the guy that we run out of this, these cities? 
And so these are the ones. It's not the Jews in Jerusalem. It's the one that came down from Asia Minor. And so it says, they seeing, seeing him and the temple, they stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. And I'm not, these ain't healing hands, okay? They, they laying some brutal hands on him. Crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere, against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the, into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Okay, so they're, again, they're hurling accusations at him. They're hurling accusations such as that he is against the people, he's against the law, and he's against this place. Three things right here. The people, the Jewish people, the law, and the temple. But not only that, they accuse him of bringing a Greek or a Gentile into the temple. Now, you know that there are certain parts of the temple that Greeks could not enter into. I mean, you just they didn't do it. As a matter of fact, they had a sign over the door that said, if you enter in through this door, you will be responsible for your own death. And they said it, it was both in, in um, Greek and Latin. And so they were serious about this. You don't, the Greeks don't go into the temple. Gentiles don't go into the temple, period. And so they accused him because they saw this guy walking around with him, and they just assumed that he took him into the temple with him. So there's, again, they're, they're throwing all these false accusations at Paul in order to stir up all of these people. You know, when, when, when these people are trying to kill Paul, they're trying to cast him out of cities, but yet the ministry continues to grow, what do you think that does to these Jews? Oh, man. You know, they want this guy dead. They want this to, to stop altogether. They're it's like they feel like that he's making them to look like fools, right? He's making them to look like fools. And so they're, they're, they see this guy, and they're like, oh, my gosh, there he is. Let's kill him. Let's get him. And so they lay their hands on him, and they start beating him and beating him and beating him. And then if we look in verse 30, then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort of all, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Okay, so what we have here, have here is this is they're referring to the Roman garrison that was in this area. And what, what was the duty of the Roman uh, soldiers? What was their ultimate duty here in this area? Maintain peace. That's exactly right. Because if, if riots start, the Romans lose control. This is all about control. They want to make sure that they maintain control of these people. So anytime any kind of ruckus gets started, the Romans have to get involved in order to keep the peace. And that's what's happening here. And as they were seeking to kill him, they came to the tribune of the cohort that, is, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He, took one, he, he once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and, and what he'd done. And some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. 
And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying, crying out, away with him. Now, I, if you're Paul and you're going through this and you're hearing a lot of these accusations, it would be very, very familiar to him because not just what he has gone through, but what he oversaw at the stoning of Stephen. I don't know if these things would be coming back to Paul's memory or what, but I can imagine how all of this started with Paul persecuting or Saul persecuting the church, causing the church to scatter, causing all these new churches to be started and Christians, Gentiles uh, becoming Christians all over this whole area, this whole region. And it all started right there with Stephen being stoned and Saul getting approval, holding the jackets because his, he was too important to get his own hands dirty and throwing stones at him. So I, I don't know if this would have come back to Paul's mind, reminded him of what was taking place whenever he was standing there giving approval for Stephen to be stoned. But it set apart, it set rolling this, just, this wheel of motion that God is in his sovereignty is using all of these circumstances, all of these happenings in order to accomplish his purposes. So the soldiers come and get him. They have to literally carry him because the crowd was so violent. And so they got up and the crowd is crying out, away with him. Who else heard this whenever they was, he was being taken in? Remember Jesus himself. They were crying out, away with him whenever he was going to be crucified. Look in verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I, may I say something to you? This is, this is interesting here too because Paul's probably beat to a pulp right now, right? He's bleeding, he's, he's bloody, bruised and everything. They've been wailing on him. And these Roman soldiers are, are carrying him into this area and, and he stops and goes, can I have a word with you? You know, just kind of like casual. I mean, <laughs> he's not crying out, help me, help me. These people are trying to kill me. He's just like, hey, can I say something to you real quick? And he says, and, and so the soldier says, do you know Greek? Are you, are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? This is actually in Josephus's record, his historical record. Uh, this actually took place. This man came in, he brought all of these people and they were causing all kinds of trouble, and they, they ran him out, but the guy got away. And so he assumed that that's who Paul was. But Paul replies, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there's a great hush, he addressed them in Hebrew language, saying, to be continued next week. So. <laughs> Notice what Paul says in verse 39. He says, a citizen of no obscure city. What does that statement mean? Does anybody know? Okay. Okay, but even more specific than that. What what's the kind of a citizen was Paul? 
Roman citizen. So this statement would actually refer to the fact that he was a Roman citizen. And again, we're going to see in chapter 22, uh, this is going to take place again of him, you know, declaring that he is a Roman citizen. So he says, I would like to speak to this crowd. Now, Paul is, he's just been beaten. He's been dragged out of the temple. He's just been arrested. And what we see in Paul is the Holy Spirit leading him to say, can I say something to them? I mean, in my flesh, if I, if I just got beaten up, drug out of the temple, and arrested, I don't believe that I would want to share the gospel anymore with these people. I'd be like, off with you. Shake the dust off my feet. Uh, or I'd want to get out of there as quickly as I could. I, just, I don't want to have anything else to do with these people because, I mean, my ear's hanging off. My, my knuckles are broken. and I mean, I just don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. But Paul, led and motivated by the Holy Spirit, says, I want to address this crowd. We know that Paul had a love for the Jews that could not be quenched. And as a matter of fact, every time he went into the city, where was the first place he went? The to the synagogue. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. He was an apostle to the Gentiles, but he loved the Jewish people. He loved them with a passion. And we see that in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. He said, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness to this Holy in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow in unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I mean, that's a passion right there. I mean, Paul is saying right here that I would go to hell so that my Jewish brothers can be saved. Man, I mean, that's, that's a statement, right? But again, can we give Paul credit? No, we have to praise God. We have to glorify God when we hear things like this. And so as we read these stories and we see these things that Paul has to go through, it's so important for us to, I mean, we do marvel at what Paul does and what his obedience and things such as this. But apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, there is no obedience. Apart from the Holy Spirit in our life, there is no faith. There's no duty. There's no, um, there's nothing. And so if, if we see God doing something in someone's life and we see a great ministry taking place, we praise God for what he's doing in this person's life. We always give glory to God whenever we do that. Even in our own life, we like to kind of, you know, make ourselves look better or look good or look more righteous, right? We can't do that. All glory has to go to God. So any questions? To be continued next week. <laughs> Any questions or comments over this? Yes, ma'am. None? Okay.